airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. In 1630, Pilgrim leader John Winthrop uh, said that his vision for the new society here on the North American continent was, quote, a shining city upon a hill, a special nation blessed by God. Welcome to Airing the Addisons. Alex McFarlane here sitting in for Will and Mickey Addison. Very, very honored to do that. And I want to wish you an early happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving week, and uh, I'm very excited about the show today and several shows we'll do this week, and I hope that you are looking forward to spending time with family, spending time eating some really good food, having some great uh, fellowship and making some memories, but most of all, being thankful to the Lord. We have got a lot for which to be grateful. My goodness, we are so blessed here in America. Um, My name is Alex McFarland. Many of you may hear me on the American Family Radio program, Exploring the Word, that comes on in the afternoons. And I have the great privilege of uh, sitting in sometimes for some of the other AFR hosts, like Abe Hamilton and Mickey Addison. And uh, my website, by the way, is alexmcfarland.com. Uh, although the majority of my life and ministry revolves around the American Family Association and the American Family Radio Network, and uh, doing the show Exploring the Word, we've been in the Book of Romans here for the last several weeks, and uh, listened to all who came out to our big event in Cincinnati, Ohio, a week and a half ago, the Truth for New Generation event. We had Josh McDowell and Erwin Lutzer and a number of great speakers, and we had people from As far away as South Dakota, Dallas, Texas, New Orleans, Louisiana, they all convened on Cincinnati, and we we learned about how to share the gospel, evangelism training. We learned about how to defend the faith. That's apologetics. But I want to say a big thanks to everybody who came out and everybody who said that they were praying and they were going to share the gospel with their neighbors and just for the enthusiasm for how much our nation and our culture needs Jesus, and your willingness to get involved. We want to say thank you. Thank you very much. And so uh, listen up, folks. Uh, We're so excited about uh, a person I want you to meet, a very special friend and just a champion for the gospel in our culture. It's Will Graham, and uh, Will Graham is going to talk to us about several things, but when I was thinking about some special programming we could do on AFR this Thanksgiving week, I thought about calling my buddy Will Graham. And uh, Will, are you there, my friend? I'm here. I'm good to talk with you. Well, it's good to talk with you. And and where are you calling in from, Will? No, I'm here at my office at uh, here in Nashville, North Carolina, at the Cove. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, folks, you're not going to want to miss the next few minutes. We're going to talk with Will Graham, and, and I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about evangelism. But first of all, the Cove. Uh, tell us what the Cove is and how people can find out about the great ministry that goes on there. Well, the, the Cove is uh, something that both my grandfather, uh, and Billy Graham, and my grandmother, Ruth Graham, 
Uh, they had both uh, wanted to do something, a place where they could, uh, people could come and get away to study God's Word. you got to remember, back in the 60s and 70s, there was a, a strong division in the church in America over the Word of God. And that was something that my grandfather had to wrestle with back in 1949. And uh, he came to the conclusion that you could trust the Word of God. And the Word of God is powerful. Amen. And so, so many churches and the problems in the world that we have today is because people don't stick to the Word of God. And so they wanted a place where people could, different place anywhere and around the country, could come and study God's Word. God's Word. Not people's books, but God's Word. And, uh, study it and learn from it, then go back and apply it into their life, whatever's going on in their life. And so, uh, and that's what it is. It's a getaway place, a great place, retreat place to learn God's Word. We have different speakers throughout the year. Uh, you're one of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they would come and listen to a teacher teach from God's Word on a particular subject in the Bible, a particular passage. It just varies by the teacher and the year. And um, it's a great place. So um, you can Find out more at our website at uh, thecove.org. That, that uh, name again, thecove.org. And uh, there you can learn about what's going on up here at the Cove. Amen. Well, and I'm very privileged, folks. I'll be there in late July next summer to go through Daniel and Revelation again. And we talk about how God writes history in advance, Bible prophecy and Erwin Lutzer is there a lot, the former pastor of Moody Church, just a beloved Bible teacher, and uh, I'm sure you'll probably be teaching there too next year, won't you, Will? Yeah, I'll be teaching twice. I, I teach uh, once in the spring and then uh, once in August, and so um, and uh, I'm going through First Samuel. I've been going, I think I'm, I'm trying to remember, this will be my seventh year in First Samuel, and I've been wow. just going verse by verse by verse by verse, and it's uh, I got one more year after this uh, next year, uh, so it'll be twenty twenty one before I can finish up First Samuel. <laughs> you, you know, one of the great things about the Cove, I mean, there's the great Bible teaching and the fellowship, and you meet people from all over, all over the world, really. But there's this big deck, and folks, you you got to see this. It's the the mountains are so beautiful up there, but. Will, have you ever been out on that deck when the sun comes up and there's like mist everywhere, and then as the sun rises, the mist dissipates, and suddenly there's all that mountain range visible? It's it's very beautiful, isn't it? it oh, it is. Uh, I, you know, I tell people that my grandparents had a chance to live anywhere in the world they wanted to. They visited every pretty place known to you know known to man on this earth, and uh, not because they were rich or anything like that. It's just because friends invited them to these places. And yet, but they chose to live in uh, the mountains of Western North Carolina for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this has got to be one of the prettiest places in the world, and uh, we sure are grateful to live here, and uh, I love it here as well. Amen. Well, now, you keep a very, very busy preaching schedule all around the world. Tell us, um, where have you been preaching this year, and, and what are your what's your speaking calendar looking like in 20 and 21? Okay. Well, we we had one probably one of my, the best years of ministry we've ever seen uh, from a crusade standpoint. Um, our first one this year was in the Philippines. Um, we did uh, outside of Metro Manila, then we did downtown Metro Manila, and um, it was the largest event I've ever done. Uh, we had over 150,000 people. Wow. Um, thousands and thousands of decisions for Christ. Uh, matter of fact, there's one place up in Pangasinan that we were hoping to stay longer, but we, I wish we, I wish I had time to say, no, we're gonna, let's stay here, because we were seeing really God, Holy Spirit, 
revival take place. And um, and uh, but we had already scheduled ourselves to be in downtown Metro Manila, which I had to get back to. But we saw God do some amazing things. I went there from Hawaii, uh, on the island of Kauai, uh, which mm-hmm. is the last of the major islands there in Hawaii, and uh, in Lahui. And uh, we we saw we saw over 500 people come to know Christ. About 600 people come to know Christ. The town only has about 5,000 people in church. All right, on Sunday, the, the whole island. So we saw 10% church growth over one weekend, which is unbelievable. Um, then we also did, I did two cities up in Montana just recently. Mm-hmm. Um, that was um, that was a lot of fun because we got to go to uh, the Arctic, right at the Arctic Circle, Baker Lake, which is Geo- Geographical Center of Canada. I did um, one there, and then I did one um, in Belleville, Ontario. Um, I just finished up three cities in Montana. We did Helena, Hamilton, and Great Falls, and uh, got to travel that whole state. Uh, that was great to see that and to preach God's Word. We saw a number of people come to know Christ at all three of those events. As a matter of fact, in Hamilton, we had 4,000 people. It was a town of 4,000, and I think we had like twenty around 2,000 people at the event. Amen. Um, and so it was a huge event. Um, so we're so grateful for that. Um, and then uh, I just recently got back from China. I was in China last week. I was preaching in China. Um, oh, my goodness. I've got to, we have a very good relationship with the Chinese government. The Chinese allows me to come in to preach unrestrictedly. Um, really? I, can't do, I, can't, I cannot do open air like a, a stadium. I right. can do it in a church. Uh, but they don't go through my sermons. They don't do anything. They just invite me. Wow. And I say that because this was really a pivotal year because in China, things are very restrictive right now on religion, all right? Religion. Uh, not just Christianity, mainly Muslims. They're really going hard after the Muslims right now. Um, but all religions are taking up, just getting a, uh, the communist government's just putting a, high, a tighter grasp on things. Right, right. And um, so some of it's, Real bad in areas, some not so bad. Uh, but yet they allow me to come and preach during this time. And matter of fact, we met with the uh, U.S. Embassy and the consulate, and they're like, how in the world do you even get, how do you get here? I mean, like, how do you even get an opportunity to do this? They're restricting everything, but yet you come in here with open arms. Praise God. And I just tell people it's, it's because of what God does. This is God's favor, mainly because my grandmother was born in China. China gives us, they treat us like Chinese, they treat us like family, and they allow us to come in and preach. Amen. And uh, we're not we're not able to do everything that we want to do, but they're very kind to us um, and very grateful for that. And so it's just an open door that we keep going through, and we're going to see what God does in the years to come. Will, um, I was told by a Chinese Christian that in, in many parts of China, when, when a Bible is, um, when people have access to a Bible, that every page of a Bible might be handled and read by 30,000 Christians. Um, do, you, do you think that's accurate? I, I don't. I, I would say that probably a long time ago. I'm not sure if that now, because they print Bibles in China. Oh, do they? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, government, the government, here's what most people don't realize. The government prints Bibles, and the government builds churches. Um, and so... I mean, it's it, sometimes that what we get reported back here is not always true, and it depends on the different parts of China. Mm-hmm. Um, some are more restrictive, some are more open, 
and I've been in, I've been in more of the more open areas because that's where my grandmother was from. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not true everywhere in China. But um, the Bibles are printed in China, so I don't. You can you can get a Bible. I, I would say somewhat easy, uh, maybe not totally easy, but uh, not as easy as us. But you can they make them there. So they yeah, get them there. Hey, in, in about a minute and a half, we have a break. Can you stay through a break? And because oh, yeah. there's a few few more things I want to ask you. But first, before this first break, Operation Christmas Child. I know at Samaritan's Purse, your dad is probably really, really busy right now. Um, tell people a little bit about OCC and, and what a blessing that ministry is. Yeah, Operation Christmas Child is, is the world's largest evangelical Christian ministry in the world. And uh, what it does is takes a shoebox that people put together in their home, put toys and gifts in it, stuff like that. We take that and we send it overseas, and that becomes the opportunity to share the gospel with Jesus Christ with that individual. You don't have to be a Christian to get it. We give it to, we want non-Christians to get it, so we have a chance to tell them about Christ. The real gift of Jesus is that death and burial and resurrection and the, and the new life that he gives us. That's the real hope that we have, not the gift, not the shoebox. But this is just the opportunity. We use that gift that you've made to give to a child to tell them about the ultimate gift of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're trying to do 11 million shoeboxes this year in 171 different countries. Amen. Oh, that, that's awesome. 11 million shoeboxes this year. Yeah, that's a lot. So we got a lot to collect, so we need your help. <laughs> How can people learn about Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child? Well, you can go to our website at Samaritan.org, uh, Samaritan.org. And uh, there you can learn more about the ministry and uh, what needs to be done for Operation Christmas Child. Amen. Amen. Folks, you're listening to the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland here with my friend uh, Evangelist Will Graham. And uh, we're going to continue talking with Will here in just a minute. But, you know, this thing of the gospel, folks, uh, Jesus Christ wants to have a relationship with you. And we just want people to know that Jesus Christ loves every person but the Bible says we have to turn from our sin and we have to put our faith in Jesus. And Jesus gave his life on the cross. And uh, Will, if you could sum up the gospel in one Bible verse, what would that be? Well, it's probably the same as my granddaddy, John three sixteen, As God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but could have everlasting life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Folks, we hope you're one of those whosoever wills, and if you've not turned to Christ, do that today. He's as close by as a prayer, and he will hear you, and he will respond. We're going to come back with Will Graham in just a minute. Stay tuned. Don't go away. We're back after this. Hi, it's Michael with Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years at only $5 a Bible. I met 14-year-old Ahmed earlier this year in the Middle East. At 12, he had been recruited to be a suicide bomber. His dad died fighting for ISIS. His mother and seven siblings were radicals, but they embraced the gospel. And when they did, he viewed them as infidels and wanted them dead. But his mom prayed nonstop for his salvation. It came, and when it did, he was beaten nearly to death by the radicals he hung around with. When he and I met earlier this year, he was 
able to open his Arabic Bible and see where Jesus says, they'll hate you because they hated me first. But with tears in his eyes, he said, Michael, there's hundreds of young guys like me going to kill themselves in the name of Allah. We need to save them. And he's led dozens to Christ in a place where they need the Bible. Would you join us in this wonderful work to support the persecuted church? Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or click sendbiblesnow.com. That's sendbiblesnow.com. On American Family Radio, this is Barry McGuire. I'm a car guy here to help you understand God's purpose for your life through the eyes of a layman. One of the prevailing hindrances to personal faith sharing is the feeling of not being good enough to speak up on God's behalf, which of course is absurd. It's like you're not really forgiven that you haven't been set free. But if you've repented of your sin and sought God's forgiveness, you're free. And who the Lord sets free is free indeed. And if that doesn't put a bounce in your step and a testimony in your mouth, something's wrong. I mean, really wrong. Telling yourself that you're not good enough to represent God is bad theology and a lie from Satan who so wants to neutralize your testimony. Don't let him do that. Let your light so shine before men that they will glorify your Father in heaven. Your job is to ignite revival outside the walls of your church by moving everyone you're with today closer to Jesus. If you want to know how easy that is, go to ROTW.com. Hey, Bart, I know the perfect Christmas gift for a congregation to give to their pastor and his wife. What's that, Jan? Sign them up for the AFA Pastors and Wives Fishbowl Retreat. Oh. You know how every pastor's family has extra stress because of their position in the church and community? It's like living in a fishbowl. Yeah, and we've lived through that. The holidays can be especially stressful. So your idea would give the pastor and his wife something to look forward to. This Christmas, why not give your pastor and his wife a ticket to the fishbowl retreat? It'll be March 31st through April 2nd at Pine Cove Camp near Tyler, Texas. We have space for 30 couples, and it'll fill up fast. You can get more information and register your pastor and his wife at repairingthefoundations.net. That's repairingthefoundations.net. Or you can call 662-844-5036, extension 300. Merry Christmas from the American Family Association and from the AFA Pastors and Wives Fishbowl Retreat. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. I made up my mind, I'm grounded, I'm not falling. Despite what's in my way, Christ will I obey. Satan, get out my way, all of God's people say. You know, before the break, we were talking about verses that kind of sum up the gospel in one verse. One verse that I really love, folks, is John 6, verse 40. Jesus said this, Whoever sees the Son and believes in Him will have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So think about that, folks. To see the Son, S-O-N, to, to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, and when he went to that cross, he did it for you, and he did it for me, to see the Son and believe in him. And that's not just to acknowledge a fact in your head, that's to turn your life over to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins, and please forgive me and save me. And I'm putting my faith in you, trusting Jesus and Jesus alone to be our forgiver and our leader and our Lord. When you believe in Jesus, you turn your life to Jesus. Yes, he will save you. And you are secure in Christ. And will, I love that promise Jesus said that I will raise, I will raise you up at the last day. Aren't you thankful for that great reunion day one day when all the believers of all the generations, we're going to be re- reunited with each other and in the presence of Christ in heaven. Well, what does that mean to you, Will? 
Well, it means that I'm probably going to see people I didn't think I was expecting to see. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. I have family up there that, that probably didn't want to see me anymore. But, uh, uh, no, it, it's going to be – you know what? I'm so grateful. This life's not it. This this life is not the only life we live. It's, there's one yet to come. And yeah. that's, what, that's the blessed hope that we have is that uh, all the wrongs are going to be righted at, at the end of time. Um, we're going to be reunited with loved ones. I, I think about my grandfather, my grandmother, both of them, both sets of them, both my mm-hmm. maternal and paternal grandparents. Right. I get to see them once again. All these loved ones that have gone on before us, I get to see them again. Uh, for those who put their faith in Christ, and I get to see them again. And uh, that's why, as an evangelist, I want to tell more people about Christ because I don't want to miss. I don't want people to miss out about heaven. And uh, yeah. And for those who don't put their faith in Christ, and they, they spend a place in eternity called hell, which is the opposite. And uh, it's a, a total misery place. And um, But I want to tell people about Christ as long as I can, and so I can see them in heaven and spend eternity with them. Uh, a few months ago, you had the privilege of pr- playing your grandfather in the movie Unbroken. Um, and what was that like? And and folks, if you haven't seen it, uh, my wife and I went to see it in the theater. It was awesome. It was a very, very inspiring, very dramatic story. And uh, in the recreation of the Los Angeles crusade, Will, you portrayed Billy Graham. Um, how did that come about, and what was it like? Yeah, yeah. and ju- just for clarification, th- this movie's called Unbroken Path to Redemption. Uh, okay. The, the, the original movie, Unbroken, was the first half of the story. This is kind of like the second half of his story, and they've added Path to Redemption to the first title. And okay. so um, it, it's the same character, same story. It's just the second half of it, which is really the most important part, because the first movie uh, is a great movie by Angelina Jolie, directed by her. She did an incredible job. and uh, But the story falls short because what happens is you think, oh, everything's okay. And when he came home and you think, oh, the end of the movie, everything's okay, he's home now. That's when everything started to fall apart in his life, in real life. Louis and, Zamperini. Uh, that's right, Louis Zamperini. I'm sorry, that's right, Louis Zamperini. His life was falling apart. And uh, and uh, it, 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 things were so bad that he was dealing with PTSD. No one understood what PTSD was back in uh, in the late 40s um, after World War II. And here's a whole, him and a number of other men were struggling with PTSD, but no one knew what to do with it. And the only way that he could cope with it was to get drunk. He was hoping he would get so drunk he would pass out that he couldn't remember and be tormented in his dreams. And so he became a drunk. And now he was losing his marriage, losing his family. He lost all his money. And uh, out of desperation, uh, his wife said, won't you come with me? There's this preacher from Charlotte, North Carolina, and he's not like, a, he's not like all the other preachers. And he even talks about science. And <laughs> so he liked my, she knew her husband, Louis Zamperini, liked science. So he said, okay, I'll go. And the first time he heard my granddaddy, he hated it. And he walked out. He hated everything Billy Graham was saying. The next night, or a week later, he goes back on October 16, 1949, and he listens to my grandfather, and he hates everything again. He hates it. And this time when he walks out, Somehow, he said, I don't know what happened. Next thing I did, I found myself at the front, and I was mm. giving my life to Jesus Christ. And uh, he broke down out of desperation, gave his life to Jesus. His life was never the same uh, because of the gospel that he heard there on October 16, 1949, in the Greater Los Angeles Crusade. 
And so from that time forward, my grandfather and Louis Zamperini were always good friends. And sure. uh, until the day they both died, they were always good friends. I want to talk about the the L.A. event uh, maybe in a minute. Um, but first, how did the filmmakers approach you to portray your grandfather? Well, that is something I didn't go looking for. Um, but uh, I had a, a mutual friend of ours. Uh, well, I say it was a mutual friend of me and the, the studio, the people that right. were working on the movie. Um, she recommended that they contact me to play my grandfather because I didn't know they were doing the second half of the story. And so they called me and talked to me. And I said, well, I'd, I'd be interested, but I need to get my dad's permission because I'm an employee of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and this would have to require his blessing for me to do it. And I didn't know if I still wanted to do it because I'm not an actor. And uh, I, the last thing I want to do was be a distraction because this, this story is way, way too important. And the last thing I want to do was to be a distraction in it you know, because sure. I'm not an actor. I can mess up everything. And um, so unknown to me, they asked me to come out and fly out and, and uh, I talked to the director and the producer, and uh, I hadn't known this, but they were actually trying me out. I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know it was a trial, you know, trying this part out. And so they listened to me, and they said, okay. Uh, I said, don't do it. I like I tried to talk them out of it, doing everything I and could to talk me out of it. And they called me two days later and said, we want you to have the part. They said you and, passed uh, the audition. Well, I passed it. And, you know, I had to beat two other people out. And uh, I always tell people it was... Uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I don't know who it was. I just tell people it was Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. <laughs> and 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 your dad gave his blessing. He did. And um, in the movies, listen, the movie is historically accurate. They do a great job telling the story. The Zamperini family is ecstatic about the movie. The Graham organization is ecstatic about the movie because it's true to the gospel. Matter of fact, everything I say in the movie. In the movie, every one of my lines is a actual quote of Billy Graham from his wow. 1949 sermons. We took about three of the sermons, and we weaved them together to get, you know, because I don't have time to preach a whole sermon. We took right. a little bit of all these different sermons, that stuff that Louis Zamperini was dealing with in his life. And uh, so all my lines are 1949 Billy Graham quotes from his original sermons. And so there's nothing made up about my lines there. Everything is 100% Billy Graham. Wow. Uh, you know, I would imagine, um, you know, with your family, you probably your whole life have heard about the L.A. Tent Crusade, right? Yes. It, it, yeah, I grew up knowing about it pretty well, and I've done a lot of studying on it as well. So how did it feel? I mean, they recreated. And by the way, I did see the movie Unbroken Path to Redemption. It's a really good movie. And it's not in the theaters now because this has been some months back, but I'm sure people can get it on Netflix or video or DVD or s- such, right? Yeah, yeah, I do know it's out on DVD. You can go probably to Walmart and get it. Um, that's yeah. where I got. That's where I get my copies. <laughs> well, um, the scenes of World War II very dramatic. I mean, it's a gripping film, and of course, the uh, uh, Louis Zamperini, a great athlete and a war hero, you know, giving his life to Christ. That's uh, very inspirational, but. Um, from what I could tell, Will, they recreated the tent and the scenario of the Los Angeles Crusade in in minute detail. I mean, and I've studied it a lot. It sure did look accurate. So my question, what was it like to to get up there and it was like, wow, you went back in time and there you are at the L.A. Crusade. How did that feel? Well, it was 
I tell you, it was really interesting and very, very special um, because it got very emotional for me because I, I started preaching a sermon that my granddad, because we filmed this in California, in Panoma, um, about 45, about an hour away from L.A., from where he would have preached, at least in that traffic conditions that takes over an hour. Um, but about an hour away, and I'm preaching a sermon that probably hasn't been preached on since 1949. No one mm. probably ever heard this message that I was preaching. And so to get up there and to preach it, and I preached it just like I was preaching you know, to a, a true crowd, and yeah. um, because I had, I had, tr- there may be extras, there may be, sometimes it was a green screen in front of me, and I was just preaching to, you know, to camera operators and stuff like that, um, but I was preaching, and I kept on preaching because some of my lines didn't, didn't have to be recorded, they just needed my movement, and so mm-hmm. I would preach and say, listen, I'm, I'm doing my movie lines, but this is real life, guys. You can, you can give your life to Christ right now. Just ask hey, Christ to come into your life. So I was given an invitation in the middle of my script. I was given an invitation for the camera guys and everything. And uh, Amen. You know, it was just a great experience. I tell you, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> really? I, I'd rather be an evangelist than, a, than a, in Hollywood. But um, i tell you one thing. It was just a neat experience, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. I'm grateful for it. Um, but the movie, it, it was really special to preach a, a 1949 sermon in a 1949 setting that was historic. And um, it was that was the big one that made my granddaddy so famous was that 1949 L.A. Crusade. Really? And, you, you know, um, I love church history. I love America's church history. And, and really, the L.A. Crusade was a monumental moment in American Christianity. And, uh, you know... I've got to. I've got to ask you this: for those that uh, don't know, I mean, what would you say? What would you want the world to know about your grandmother and grandfather? Well, they were. Um, they were the most humble people you could ever meet, and um, you know the um, the greatest things about them. They were. They loved people, and I say that they genuinely loved people and they cared for people, and um, and, and now they liked their privacy too, but. They, sure. When they were out in public, they would always talk to people as long as they could. Um, they, my granddad was just so polite with people. My grandmother was even more so, and uh, they're very humble. And uh, and my grandfather, to the day he died, gave every bit of glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's why we never saw a scandal with Billy Graham. There was no think of scandal with my grandfather because Amen. my granddaddy had given all this over to the Lord. He said, this is all the Lord's. He never took glory for himself, because my granddad said, God doesn't share his glory with anybody. I can't. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, when we made when we came up with the Billy Graham Library, he was mad that we put Billy Graham on the outside of it. Mm. He said, call it something else, because he didn't want the attention. He said, this is God's work. I didn't do anything. This is all God's work. And, um, you know, um, he was very sincere about his faith um, and seeing other people come to know Christ. Um he was the same character um, from the beginning to the end of his life. Uh, now, yeah. he came across different ways. When he was young, he was bold and brash and uh, very bold, like to the point where he was down in a, in, in the South somewhere, and he was preaching, and uh, he was spending the night in a hotel, and he, in this one hotel night, the big party going on next door. So he went down there and knocked on the door, and he's six foot four, so when he stands in the door, he's tall. He yeah. said, I want to talk to, and they opened the door, and he said, I want to address to everybody in this room. And they let him in. 
He said, hmm. some of you should be ashamed on the way that you're acting tonight. <laughs> like two in the morning, you know. He chewed him out. Total strange. Looking back, that was really bold and fresh for me to do that. He said, your pastor would be ashamed of the way that you're acting in here right now. And uh, and people started confessing, like, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Well, I'm a oh, teacher. my word. And uh, it was like confession time. He said he didn't hear a peep out of him the rest of the night. But uh, but he was very bold in his preaching, very brash, but he always went back to the Word of God because that was the power. That was, He made a decision uh, in August of 1949, September of uh, 1949 is when the L.A. Crusade started. So the decision that he made a month beforehand would become the most critical decision that he ever made because people were trying to lead him away from God's Word. Um, his best friend, uh, Chuck Templeton, he and Chuck were friends for the rest of their lives. They were always good friends. But Chuck, he, he decided to leave his Christian faith. Mm. And uh, my granddaddy, and he was trying to sincerely say, you know, Billy, we're, your preaching's wrong. We've got to update our theology. It's written by man. The Bible's written by man. It's got mistakes that you can't trust it. And my granddaddy was really listening to him. But at the same time, there's a lady named Henrietta Mears. And oh, there's, yes. gonna be more people, there's more people in, in heaven today because of the work of Henrietta Mears, because she, she's the one that got Billy Graham going in the right direction, and she's the one that would help start, lead to Christ, and then help start Bill and Bonnet Bright. Correct, yes. For Christ. And she's someone that most people don't know, but she here she was. She was talking to my granddad, tr- pulling my granddaddy the other way, and said, you can trust the Word of God. And so one night, my granddaddy went out, one of the worst nights of his life. He couldn't sleep. He was wrestling over this one idea, can you trust the Word of God? And he put the Bible down on his stump and said, you know what, God, I, can't think, I cannot answer my friend's questions that he has about the Bible, but I trust this as your Word, and I'm going to preach it as your Word. That was his line in the sand moment. Mm. And that from that point on, his preaching was never the same. And I don't think there would ever been a 1949 L.A. Crusade success if it hadn't been for that decision that he made a month earlier there in California. And so that was, to me, that's the most important decision of his life, of what took place for the rest of his life. And it took place there in August of 1949 in the mountains, not in L.A., but in the mountains, San Bernardino Mountains. Mm-hmm. California. He made that decision. Uh, Will, whether it's to trust Christ and be saved or whether it's to obey Christ, uh, we've only got a, a 30 seconds. What do you say to a person who might today be facing their own line in the sand moment? I want to, I want to tell people that they can trust God. They can trust God and His Word. We don't understand everything that we're going through. That's why we need someone to help us to make sense of the junk in this world. But when you put your faith in Christ, when you choose to say, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life, then everything else starts to make sense in your life. And I want to trust you. I want to tell you, trust Christ with all that you have. You'll never regret it. Amen. Give our love to your family. I hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, buddy. Take care. God bless you. Hey, you're listening to the American Family Radio Network. Stay tuned, folks. We're back after this brief break with some current events, some news, another guest. Ray Moore, Colonel Ray Moore. Stay tuned. Airing the Addisons and AFR is back after this. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Competing views of success in our world often create an interesting tension. Society defines success in terms of accomplishments and awards, material possessions and profit margins. In the football business, 
winning is the only thing that matters. God's Word, however, presents a different definition of success, one centered on a relationship with Jesus Christ and a love for God that allows us to love and serve others. God's definition of success is found in significance, the significant difference your life can make in the lives of others. It doesn't show up in the win-loss records. It's found in your heart and in serving others. Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. More at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. Folks, you know, I used to be a football fan. I stopped being a football fan. I could not stand the idea of people denigrating that flag and refusing to stand for it. My attitude about folks like that is, please leave. You ought to be thanking God every day of your life that you were born an American. I know that my country's not perfect, but I still love America. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. May Christmas. May Christmas. Hey, I love that you're saying Merry Christmas. But what's Christmas all about? Oh, man, it's about presents and family and love. And... Well, yeah, but it's really about Jesus. He came for you. Merry Christmas. Thanks, man. Wear and share the AFA Christmas button to remind people about Jesus. He came for you. Visit afastore.net to order in packs of 10. Order before December 12th to make sure you get your buttons before Christmas. That's afastore.net. Are you concerned about the future? The AFA Foundation can help. End of year giving allows you to offset your current taxable income, providing you with valuable tax savings on this year's return. And your generous gift will help further the mission of AFA to inform, equip, and motivate people in the culture war for years to come. Through the AFA Foundation, you're supporting the work of the American Family Association by helping individuals and families leave a legacy to help stem the tide of secularism and rebuild our Christian foundations. As the end of the year approaches, carefully considering what to give and when to give it can increase the impact of your gift while still meeting your own needs as well. For example, with a cash donation, your itemized tax return may allow you to receive up to the full value of your charitable gift. Contact the AFA Foundation through Facebook at our website, afafoundation.net, or call 800-326-4543, extension 345. Airing the Addisons, Alex McFarland sitting in for Will and Mickey Addison, frequent speakers at our Truth for New Generation conferences and our camp around the summer. And uh, folks, I, you know I, I love Will and Mickey so much, and uh, we were going over, we had three conferences this year, plus a camp, and um, we're blessed with a lot of great speakers that we've used. Lee Strobel, who will be with me Wednesday. By the way, folks, you don't want to miss... Wednesday on Airing the Addisons. We hope you'll listen every day. But best-selling author of The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, will be with me on this program Wednesday, and we're going to talk about how you can share the gospel with your friends over Christmas and how to answer tough questions. But we have a lot of speakers, and uh, we were going over the, the attendee evaluations, and we were just in Cincinnati, and we were in Richmond and a number of cities. And Miki Addison, she 
and everybody is good, but Mickey really got the rave reviews this year for her speeches and teaching at uh, Truth for New Generation, and we're so grateful, and I'm deeply honored to sit in for Will and Mickey. And uh, there's some stuff in the news, and I wanted to bring on a, a colleague and friend and just a dear uh, defender of the faith. His name is Colonel Ray Moore, and he leads a thing called the Exodus Mandate, and I'll let him explain what that is. But uh, uh, Ray, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Thanks for holding, and thanks for being on airing the Addisons on the American Family Radio Network. And uh, wanted to get you on a little bit. There's a story and a number of stories about um, in uh, the public school classroom content being presented that uh, Christian and conservative parents find objectionable, and whether it's sexually explicit content or whether it's you know really kind of revisionist history that tears down America, a lot of parents are concerned about things that their kids are being sort of indoctrinated into, and, and parents seem to almost have no recourse sometimes. And I wanted to uh, get you on to give you to let you give kind of a uh, a checkup report on the state of America's public schools. Could we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, can I add one thing up with your, before you get off of your last speaker? And I didn't get the whole program, but I was listening in toward the end, and it's a, it's a great story uh, that he told there toward the end about how Dr. Graham fully committed himself to Holy Scripture. <clears throat> but uh, later in life, uh, Chuck Templeton, and I'm sure the family knows this, but I read it in, I think, a secular magazine. It was a fascinating interview he was given about what happened to him, because uh, he went away from the faith, and, of course, Dr. Billy Graham stayed in the faith, and we know the rest of that story, of course. Amen. Uh, not only his, his work, but his family's work today. But uh, someone asked Chuck Templeton uh, in an interview, it was a secular reporter in order um, Ontario, maybe Toronto, where he uh, lived and died, and I think he was a secular radio host of some kind, and they said, did he regret <clears throat> doing what he did, <clears throat> leaving the Christian faith, and I guess he was a, a, an atheist or agnostic when he died, and he said, no, he didn't regret it, but he still missed Jesus. Mm. And I said, wow, you know, there, there it is. He he knew and admitted that he did, he didn't regret what he had done, but he did not have a relationship <clears throat> with Christ. And that's one of the great things of the Christian faith. Uh, we not Amen. only get forgiveness and an eternal home in heaven, but we have a day to day relationship with a living Savior. And he missed that somehow. But you can't have that without the book that the Savior gave us, gave us and His words. They go together. We have to have his teaching, his doctrine, and his book. And uh, yeah. he himself said, "We have to. If he, he who loves me will keep my commands." So I, I'm really glad I got to get in on that interview. And I don't want to use up all my time on that, but it was a very, very interesting interview with Will Graham. Well, exactly. And and do you know what? Let me just say to everybody listening. Um, I love to talk about the defense of Scripture and history and archaeology and the preservation of the manuscripts, fulfill prophecy. I mean, there are a number of reasons to accept that the Bible is the Word of God, and we can defend that the Bible is of divine origin, that it is trustworthy, that yes, the Bible is the Word of God. But I would just say to everybody listening, 
um, if you're going to become a Christian, accept God's Word. I mean, I really don't think you can separate the Son of God from the Word of God, but Ray, in, in my own life at UNC Greensboro, I was going to college when I mm-hmm. uh, understood the gospel, the Lord got a hold of my life, and a lot of my friends made fun of me, and they were like, come on, Alex, do you really believe Noah and the Ark? you really believe all that stuff? Do you really, you really believe Moses parted the Red Sea? And I had never heard the Billy Graham story uh, at that point, but I had kind of that same moment. And I remember one, one day I was praying, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And I, I do believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, years of study have only validated that time and time again, but I just kind of, I, it was like a switch flipped in my heart, and I said, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And, and it really does make all the difference, doesn't it? Yeah, I had a similar experience to that myself when I was a, a cadet at the Civil in 1964, and I think about the middle of my cycle there. And I was raised in a Christian home, but and I guess I believed the Bible, but still you know, there was issues you know, in those days, and whether it was true or false. And I read a book, an apologetics book, that brought me, you know, I was a believer, but I was struggling, and it really brought me firmly where I was totally convinced, and it was a famous book called The Genesis Flood by Dr. Henry Morris and Dr. Uh, yeah. John Whitcomb. And John it's Whitcomb. a great apologetics book on, on the flood, whether it was a real event or not. And I remember reading that, and it was all the scientific evidence that was in the book and all the theological, biblical evidence. And I remember just saying, wow, you know, the Bible really is God's Word. And uh, and I don't, I don't know if I had a dramatic experience about it, but it was a very a powerful moment for me, I think, in 1964. Amen. Well, well, let's talk for a minute about, you know, this is a good segue. Believe, assuming the Word of God is true or not, how, what are the implications of, of that on education? Um, education that presupposes God, education mm-hmm. that, that disregards God. Um, what are the two divergent paths there, Ray? Well, we, we, we affirm in the Exodus mandate, and that website is exodusmandate.org, that Scripture speaks on so many topics, but it also speaks on education, speaks on the education of children. And it's one area that many evangelicals ignore or don't see. They, they think there's nothing wrong with putting their children in pagan public schools, but the Scriptures really uh, address it very specifically. There's no verse in the Bible that says you should put your kids in a Christian school, but how to raise children, disciple children, how to educate children, all that is all through the Bible, and there's no wiggle room. So we've sort of stepped up into that vacuum in the evangelical movement to try to answer that question. We base a lot of what we do on the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20, and evangelicals all live and die by the Great Commission, but they really don't practice verse 20. And the first part of it is, uh, go therefore and then disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're pretty good about that. We could do better, but we are very good about getting the message out, giving the gospel, telling people how to be saved. But verse 20, Jesus said, teaching them. Uh, to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. And he gave the education mandate to the church and the family, not to government. And that 
part, verse 20, is totally ignored. And it also says, uh, teaching them, and then he says, and I'm low, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And it may be partially why we're failing as a church in this modern culture today, because we're not really fulfilling, I call part two, the education component of the Great Commission. And it's, there's no uh, no wiggle room on this, but a lot of people use, uh, you know, texts like Matthew 5, 13, 14, salt and light text to excuse public schooling their children. But, you know, Jesus doesn't say, put your kids in pagan schools. He just says, behave in a way that you'd be a good, good witness. So we try to make our case theological first. Mm-hmm. And because uh, if you don't have a theological, biblical foundation, uh, then you can't, uh, you, you know, you, you will stay, you know, in those other schools. Um, recently, I was talking to a, a woman who was a young woman with talking to her, she had her kids in a Christian school, and uh, her kids are the age of my grandkids, so I was just so complimentary of what she was doing, thanking her and praising her and all that. She said, well, we're taking it one year at a time. We may put them back in a public school. You know, we're just praying and asking God to show us, and I kind of said something like this. You don't really need to pray about that. Uh, God has spoken. (laughs) When you don't pray about what he's spoken on, you don't say, well, hey, uh, we're praying about whether we're going to stay in this marriage or not, whether we're, whether we're going to have an affair. You, you, you know, I'm so that, glad you know? say that. You know, I, I taught, there's a sermon I do, and I've done several variations mm-hmm. of it, but like, you know, mm-hmm. five things you don't have to pray about. I mean, well, you this know, is one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so let me ask you this. Um, th- and, and folks, if you're just tuning in, we've got, and we need to have him on again to have a little more time, Colonel Ray Moore, who's a dear friend and colleague and um, has been a great supporter of all that we've been doing, Truth for New Generation. But um, either Christian school or homeschooling, give us um, some practical tips for for the parent that wants to make the transition away from secular, militantly secular public school education to Mm -hmm. Christian education. Um, How can they begin to make that transition? Well, I think first they must come to terms with the, the theology of it, and uh, and a lot of us are not there. We don't see this as a biblical choice. So w- one thing that would help them come to that conviction would be maybe study my webpage, exodusmandate.org. We've got a lot of good stuff there, and as you know, I had a really wonderful interview two years ago with Dr. Dobson. It was one of my big moments. He ha- had me on uh, in March of 2017 and then repeated it uh, played the same interview again in December of 2017, and could have been a million people heard it. It was a big uh, thing for us to get our message out. Sure. And then I, I, did a, is great. Yeah, I did a presentation at Liberty University in uh, January of 2017 during the Reformation celebration, and that's a visual of a YouTube thing, and if they would be interested in that, it's called What Once Was Can Be a Game, Christian Education and the Reformation. And there I show that the Reformers all had Christian schools. They were big on Christian day schools, and they would have not conceived of a Reformation having any success without correspondingly having Christian education. They wouldn't have done evangelism and then not had their converts in Christian schools. And that's the way we operate today. The, the, the uh, conviction for Christian education, I'm talking about K-12, it's just so weak in the evangelical church. And I'm trying to help 
you know, change that. So it, it uh, but anyway, there's a lot of stuff on that web page if they're interested in, you know, getting some theological uh, backbone for what they want to do. And that's the place to start. You've got to really be sure and convinced that God has spoken on this, and, and, and we are, and so we try to help people see that. So that's a place to start. And then there's so many uh, groups out there that are doing Christian day schools, and, uh, you know, you could, ACSI in Colorado Springs has about 3,000 Christian schools in America. Sure. Association of Christian Schools International. And let let me just say this, uh, and I've spoken at many, many, many ACSI-accredited Christian schools, and folks, they are, not only are they intellectually equal and 99 times out of 100 superior to what's going on in public schools. I mean, when I, when I speak in public schools, Ray, and I frequently do, um, l- let me just say the environment, the atmosphere, and certainly the academic level it is very often really weak. And I go to these ACSI-accredited Christian schools or homeschool conventions, and I mean, middle schoolers are learning Latin, they're translating Aquinas from the Latin to English. They're learning about American government. They're learning, you know, Christian worldview. And um, let me just say, folks, there's a saying we have, and Ray, I want you to speak to this. There's a saying we use a lot on Exploring the Word, my other show, lose at anything else but win with your children. Mm-hmm. Comment on that. Right. Lose at anything else but win with your children. Ray, what does that statement mean to you? Well, we see a lot of families that don't invest in their children, and they get my age, and they're sorrowful um, because they didn't, and they go to their graves having regrets over their children. You don't get a do-over with your children. <clears throat> so you need to invest in them early with Christian education, homeschooling, and uh, disciple them and pray for them. And then when they get to be adults, like my wife and I, now we've been married 50 years, and we can say, like John the Apostle, and I think... Uh, Second John 4, he said, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in truth. Now, mm-hmm. he was speaking of his disciples, not his physical children, but it would certainly apply to our physical children. So don't don't uh, neglect your children and go to your grave sorrowing because you, you didn't do what you should have done. And one thing you've got to find a way to do is to give them a, a K-12 Christian education through Christian sure. day schools or homeschooling. Ray, we're about out of time. Hey, Ray Moore of the Exodus Mandate, uh, talking about homeschooling, Christian schooling, and not only the spiritual implications, but the implications long-term for our nation. Think about it, folks. This is Alex McFarland sitting in for Will and Miki. I'm going to be back tomorrow through Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.